This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Thank you, Daniel. I have to follow that? Wow. You know, what Daniel was saying was, is a reminder of, um, of this phrase that we've been saying every week, and which is, when going through life. Uh, if you're not familiar with why we're saying that phrase, it comes, it's a retranslation maybe, if you will, of, of Jesus' great commission to the disciples and to us to uh, therefore go and make disciples. And that word go, therefore go, is often thought of as uh, go be a missionary, and that wasn't what it was about. Uh, the Greek, if you look at the way that the nuances of it, it was the word going. And the implication is that when going through life, your assignment as Christ followers, your assignment is to make disciples. And we've been saying that every week, so let's say it this week too. Would you say it with me? When going through life. So I hope that you have been thinking about that every morning when you get up. That today I'm going to be going through life, and while I'm going through life, whether it's to work or or to wherever you're going, when I'm going through life, I'm going to seek out that opportunity to be a disciple maker. And uh, I'm gotten where I think I know most of the faces here. And what I'm not seeing is, I'm not seeing anybody new. And your assignment was to look for that opportunity to invite someone to church, to touch somebody's life. Uh, Hopefully you've been able to do that. But I think that if we all go out every week and we're thinking in those terms, that God is going to put a divine opportunity in your path. Before I get started, let me give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, while I was uh, pastoring, um, I got this wild idea that I would wash my car. Now, I don't wash my car. I don't like washing my car. I've, I just, just never do that. If it gets washed, it goes through a car wash. But for some reason, I decided I wanted to do that. Well, I didn't have any of the things you need to wash a car, especially the right kind of soap and all this. So I went down to the auto parts place and I'm standing there looking at all this stuff, trying to decide which one to buy, which thing to buy, what sponge and all that. And there was a young man standing beside me and he was looking at some things. And suddenly he turned to me and he said, sir, I'm looking for a buffer. I want to wax my truck and I want to buff it. And he said, I... I Uh, They don't have them here. Do you know where I could buy a buffer around here? So I thought for a moment, I said, yeah, there's a a harbor freight down the road here. And I tried to explain. I said, are you familiar with that? He said, no. um, I've just uh, uh, served in Afghanistan. I've been redeployed here to Wright-Pat. And and my wife and I, we don't know any of the area uh, at, at all. Ding, 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 ding. They don't know any. I said, so do you have a church? No, we haven't found a church yet. I said, well, let me talk to you in just a minute. It just so happens 
that I'm a pastor of a very great church. And I said, I want to invite you and your, and your wife to come and, and enjoy church with us one or two Sundays and see if you like it. I always tell people, if you don't like it, you've not signed a contract, uh, go find something else. But you might just like it. So I asked him, would he, would he like to come to church? And so he said, yeah. So I gave him one of my cards. We, we carried cards with us that had all the information, like a business card. I gave him one of those. And I said, now, about the buffer. Why don't you follow me home? Because about 10 years ago, my father passed away and I got all of his tools and in that was a buffer and I have yet to use that buffer. So if you will follow me home, I will let you take that buffer, use it, and then you can bring it back. And he just like, you would do that for me? You would? I said, sure, you served our country. Let me do something for you. So he followed me home, and I got the buffer out, gave it to him. And as he drove down the road, I thought, I may never see that buffer again. Next night, we were at, I was at church. We had a leadership meeting, and we were deep into our meeting when I get a phone call from my wife, who never calls me when I'm in meetings. She knows not to do that. So when she does call, it's urgent. So I excused myself, went out in the hall and said, what's going on? And she said, you know the guy you, left, you lent the buffer to? And I said, yeah. Well, he and his wife have been here about an hour, and they are waiting on you to come home. I excused myself from the leadership meeting, and I went home, and those folks stayed till after 11 o'clock that night. These two young people just talking and talking about uh, it was lonesome and talking about different things and about their faith. They did start coming to church. We discovered she had an amazing voice. Uh, and she would sing with our worship team, and they became an integral part of our church. They're now reassigned down into Georgia. I keep track of them. We're on Facebook together. They've been an integral part of our life, all because I wanted to wash my car, and I don't wash my car. Do you think that was not God preparing a divine opportunity for me to touch the life of a soldier home from Afghanistan? I do. I do. And it taught me something that I'm always on the lookout. I'm always searching faces. I'm always listening to what people are saying. And if I hear that one thing that can trigger that there's something they could need, something that I could help with, I try to start a conversation. Listen, if you walk through life with that kind of thought in your mind, this walking through life and making disciples will begin to happen for you. Because when you pray for that divine opportunity to reach somebody, God's going to put them in your path. Be guaranteed of that. Now, I have passed by many divine opportunities. I walked right by them. And after I got away from them, I, I, I realized God had put one in my path, and I missed it. And I don't beat myself up. I just say, God, I'm, I'm sorry I missed that one. Please, uh, you know, use this to, to help me understand the next time so I don't miss it. So I've missed my share of them, believe me. But there's been my share of them that I've reached out and touched people's lives. And it's such a good feeling. So please, when going through life, I would like to see next week some of you sitting here by with a guest. Somebody that you have brought out of loneliness or hurt or pain or whatever they might, their situation might be. And you have brought them here to be a part of the church. Today we're going to look at an amazing church. 
It's a church out of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, if you'd like to read through your Bible, but we'll have the verses on the screen. But Acts chapter 11 tells of this amazing church. It's amazing because it's a church that's reaching out to a people group that the Christian church at that time had never reached out to before. You see, you know that Jesus came and he said he came for the Jews and he mostly preached to the Jews, although we do see times where he reached out to to the non-Jewish people of the world too, the Gentiles as they were called. Well, this group goes into a Greek city and they set up to reach Greek-speaking people unheard of, undone before. And we're going to see the result. I believe it's another... uh, Another example of God putting the divine opportunity into the path of those who were really wanting to serve. So we begin with verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church, the Christian church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. They were wanting to check this out. What's going on? Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Daniel and I were talking this morning about this amazing little piece of information. Christians... The word Christian from the Greek word uh, means Christ followers. So they didn't actually call them Christians. They called them Christ followers. Who called them that? The non-believing Greeks who saw them in their community doing all this stuff that they preached. And they said they would pick them out and say, oh, George, you must be a Christ follower because I watch in your life and I see that. So it was the non-believers who first named the church, people in the church, Christ followers, which became our word for Christian. This is just an amazing event that happens. The book of Acts, by the way, is this wonderful historical account of the early church's beginnings. And and if you haven't read the book of Acts lately, I I suggest you read through it. For this church, it would be a great opportunity for you to to be encouraged again. In verse 21 of what we read this morning in chapter 11, in verse 21, this is what it says. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. 
What should really grab our attention here is the impact that this church was having on its community. There is something happening through this church family that was spreading into the lives of those around them. A large number who believe turned to the Lord. I, I think that's such an exciting thought. Large numbers of everyday people in a community are suddenly being impacted by a group of Christ followers and being impacted in such powerful ways that they are committing their own lives now to be new Christ followers. And there is no mystery as to why this was happening. Verse 21, it plainly states the, the first reason that this was truth. It says, the hand of the Lord was on them. This phrase appears about 35 times in the Bible. And each time it is used, it refers to a display of God's power in the lives of those who are following God. And the hand of the Lord was on, on them. The hand of the Lord was with them. It's an indicator that this wasn't uh, purely being done by human strength. It wasn't their programming they had. It wasn't their great marketing of their, of their church that they had. It was simply this. The hand of the Lord was on them. It was God's strength. It was not human strength. It was God's strength through humans. And the hand of the Lord was with them. That puts us on notice that we will not duplicate what that church did in our community unless, unless the hand of the Lord is on us. And we have to understand, we have to embrace what the hand of the Lord was with them, what that actually means. Because no matter how much you want something to happen here, no matter how much the pastor wants something to happen here, no matter how much the leadership team wants things to happen here, unless the hand of the Lord is on it, the church body will not have the power of God in it. So today I want to talk to you about the power in the church. Psalm 62, 11 says this, God has spoken plainly and I have heard it many times. Power, oh God, belongs to you. Any unified body of Christ followers, that is the church, that wants to become a church that impacts its community, like Antioch was impacted, must learn how to employ, must learn how to connect, must learn how to receive God's power. No church is going to become contagious or infectious in its own strength. It must have the power of God through Christ. And to make sure that we understood this need for God's power, Christ put God's power on display during his own public ministry as a human on this earth. Jesus said in Matthew 20:18, this is the verse right before 28:19 which says go and make disciples. Jesus said this in 28:18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That statement I don't think is too difficult to believe. Last week we looked, if you were here, we looked at over 75 examples of how Jesus had power in every area of life. 
I joked about having 75 slides and Mike having to do that. Mike didn't even come today. Thank you, Melissa. Hope I don't wear you out. We need to believe in that power of Jesus in every area of life. He has the power to forgive sins. He has the power to heal. He has the power to cast out demons. He has the power to change people's lives by giving them hope. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the mute. Jesus brought some people back to life. He gave hope. And you know, Jesus continues to be our source. That same power that he used, he now continues to be that power source for us today. The, the Bible says that right now that Jesus, and we sang about this, is sitting at the right hand of power right now. The power is God. He's sitting at the right hand of power and he is coming back in the clouds with great power and glory. We will see that power in him again. But until we see that power in him face to face, he's giving us his power to be his disciples. Jesus understood our need for power on this earth. You know, when he began his ministry at about 30 years old, he announced his ministry. Immediately, the Holy Spirit rushed him into the desert wilderness. And there he went through a time of, of praying and fasting like none of us have probably ever done or ever will be able to do. But Jesus became to that point where physically he was a weakened individual as a human. And the devil took advantage of it. The devil whisked him up to the highest mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms. In just one moment, Jesus saw all the kingdoms of earth. Luke 4, 6 says, I will give you, this is Satan talking to him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. And so Jesus is in his physically weak state. Jesus' human power alone was absolutely no match for the attack of Satan. Just like your power on your own is never enough to battle the enemy. So Jesus turned to the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word. The Holy Spirit brought the words to him and Jesus began to quote scripture. And every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus would, would quote scripture and immediately Satan would melt away from that temptation. He, he could no longer have any power over it and he would go to a new one. Christ didn't need Satan's offer of power. Satan's offer is always so tempting to us as humans because, well, I think most of us would like to think of ourselves as humanly powerful people. We want to be humanly powerful people. I mean, that's why these movies and, and books are so popular when you've got these superheroes that can overcome everything that we as normal beings can't. We love the idea of a human being given superpower. We want to have human strength. But Satan's power, offer to power, says we don't need. He'll tell you every time, you really don't need God's power. You can do this on your own. But Christ didn't fall for that when Satan said it to him. Because Christ already knew the power of God. And he knew how to tap into that power. 
And listen, Christ followers, listen, church, God wants you to be able to tap into that same power. We don't have Jesus here with us physically anymore to display the power of God as he did when he was doing his ministry. So God has done the next thing. God has commissioned you. He has commissioned me. He has commissioned all of us as the church to carry on for Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8. He said, but you, talking to his disciples, talking to us, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, he's saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When they heard those words from Jesus, it was not only shocking that the Holy Spirit was going to give them power, but that he wanted, that he was going to send them to the ends of the earth. In Acts 4.33, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. It worked. The power Jesus promised them worked. They began to be these powerful men and women of Christ. Jesus' promise of power was and is extended into every Christ follower, every one of us, and into the collective body of believers that we call the church. In Acts 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, which is seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them. And it filled the house where they were meeting. Then they looked, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. As we read earlier, the church of Antioch continued with great success under God's power as the church. But just how did they keep that going? The Bible gives us some solid answers on how our church can harness God's power too so that we can become a church that impacts our community just like the church at Antioch. So here's the first thing. The first thing you probably already know, it's prayer. Prayer is that conversation you have with God. I remember in my early days as a Christian, we in our church there was a retired pastor who was well known throughout the church of God. And they would ask him to pray on occasions. And when he would get up to pray, our children would go, oh, no. Because this man would pray. And I mean, he would pray prayers that would leave us as new Christians just dumbfounded. The depth, the solidness of They were lengthy. But boy, he was on fire with prayer. And one of the things that he taught over and over again was that we need to be people of prayer. And he wasn't afraid to use it. Acts 13, one day as these men, 
were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnas. Now, these are the men in, 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 the, in the Jewish Christian church. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work I have for them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. The church, I'm sorry, it was the church at Antioch that did this. The church at Antioch was a praying church. And they had this love affair with Barnabas and Saul, which later he becomes Paul. They had this love affair because they were such great pastors and great teachers. But one day the Lord laid it on them that they needed to send them on so they could do work in other places. The idea of missionaries was thus born. No one had thought of that before. It had never been done. And look how the prayers helped them to choose who to send. Saul, again, he becomes known by his Greek name, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his missionary companions. What they did is they established or ministered to most of the churches in Asia and Europe during the first century. And these two wrote, or Paul and others wrote, over half of what we call the New Testament. They were letters they were writing. We call them books now. But they were letters they were writing to the churches that they had started. I'd say prayer helped them to make some pretty good choices. How humanly easy it is to forget the power of prayer. I've been guilty of it. Maybe some of you have been too. There's a great author by the name of Josh McDowell. Uh, he tells a story of when he was attending seminary in California. At that time, his father died. Um, his father was a Christian and Josh knew that he went to heaven. But Josh's mother had died many years earlier when Josh himself wasn't a believer. And therefore, he, wasn't, he was never sure whether or not his mother was a Christian. And that thought that she might be eternally lost really began to depress him. And he began praying, God, please, please God, bring some way for me to know. Allow me to know whether my mother knew you or not. It seemed to him like an impossible prayer because who could possibly know? Just a couple of days later, John, uh, Josh drove out to the ocean and he walked down one of those long piers that people fish off of. And at the end of the pier was this uh, older lady sitting there fishing and they got into a conversation. And finally she said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Michigan, uh, from a little town nobody's ever heard of called Union City. But, but I tell people I'm, I'm from the Battle Creek area so they know what I'm talking about. And she interrupted him and she said, that's amazing because I had a cousin who lived in Union City. She said, do you know the McDowell family? And he looked at her with amazement. He said, I'm Josh McDowell. And she goes, oh my goodness. I'm your mother's cousin. And, you know, they, they just couldn't believe that. And he said, well, finally, he asked her the question. He said, do you know anything, anything at all about my mother's spiritual life? She said, well, I certainly do. She said, me and her, were we, uh, your mother and I were teenagers, and we went to a tent revival in the city. And she said, and on the fourth night, both of us went to the altar, and we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. 
Josh McDowell's amazing prayer was answered. No wonder the Apostle James says this in James 5.16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Prayer begins the process of making you a person of impact. The church, the church family, a family of impact in the community. But something else relative to God's power is also easy to notice about the church at Antioch. And it's this. They were filled with the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. Acts 11.24 says that Barnabas, the primary spiritual leader of Antioch, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13.9 says that Paul, his... Uh, his missionary companion was also filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is also for every Christ follower. And Acts 13.52, the Bible says, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He is the source of God's power in our lives. We cannot become those who impact the world without the Holy Spirit being alive and active within us. So just how can we be filled with this Holy Spirit? Well, the first question, the first thing to do is to ask God to fill you with that Spirit. Luke eleven eighteen 18 says, If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need to ask. Secondly, if you want to be filled, you must make room by emptying yourself. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5.18. He said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with spirit. Wine here is, is just something he used in his example of, of one of many, many, many things that can be in control of us. Therefore, uh, it would not be controlled by the Spirit. And, and any other thing that has control of us, whatever they might be, those things they have to be forsaken. They have to be put aside. We have to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not allowing that to be a part of my life. Every individual who trusts in Christ for salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. But to be filled with the Spirit is another matter. And a good gauge for knowing whether you are a Spirit-filled person or not is to examine the Scriptures and what it says. Galatians 5.22, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. I don't know if you've ever heard people say this, the fruits of the Spirit. It's not fruits, it's fruit. And then it names off what the fruit is. In other words, then from this list, some people say, well, I have the fruit of love, or I have the fruit of peace, or I have the fruit of patience, but I'm not so good at the fruit of goodness. That's not the way this list works. It is all one fruit. And it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, what could be hard about that, right? 
But he says, here there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. That's what happens when you ask for the forgiveness of all your sin. You are nailing those, those sinful desires and passions to the cross just as Jesus was. You are crucifying them there. And it goes on to say, if we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's, let us not become conceited or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. The fruit of the Spirit is the main, the main marker to tell you if the Holy Spirit is in control of your life. And it's easy to see that with these qualities being displayed to the best of our ability, you will be a person of impact. You will be a church family that will impact your community. You will be a kind of people that someone is going to say, man, they must be Christ followers. Look how they live. Look how they love. Look at the joy in them. Look at the peace they have. Look at their patience. Look at their kindness. Look at their goodness, their faithfulness, their gentleness, their self-control. These have to be Christ followers. So we've come to the place for the next step. The next step after we hear this message. The next step is to ask this question. And I want you to just to bow with me for just a moment. And I want you to ask this prayerfully, this question to the Lord. So bow your heads with me. And in your own way, in your own silence, but ask the Lord, what is my real relationship with the Holy Spirit? Amen. I had you do that because this is what we need to understand. What is my real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Of course, it begins with being a Christ follower. That's where it begins. Being a Christ follower doesn't simply mean that you believe that there's a God. That's not a Christ follower. Or being a Christ follower doesn't mean that you simply believe that there was a Jesus. No, it's more than that. Christ followers have confessed before God they need forgiveness. They confess before God that Jesus is the Son of God who came in human form, died on a cross for the sacrifice that would be the ultimate one, that would forgive all sins. We have to confess that's who Jesus is. And then we ask that Jesus for forgiveness in our lives. If you have done that, then you, as a Christ follower, need to take inventory of your spiritual life. Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Luke eleven eighteen says the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That same Holy Spirit that filled the Christ followers in Antioch, the same Holy Spirit that empowered them, will empower us. The, 
with the Holy Spirit, we can carry out the great commission in Matthew 28, 19 that we have been talking about every week, which is to make disciples of all, the na all nations while we are going through life. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number believed and turned to the Lord. What would you like to know God's hand upon you as they did in Antioch? First of all, I want to do something that I asked Daniel about this morning. And apparently... Um, this is something that you don't do ever or on a normal basis, say, uh, but I'm going to ask you to do it this morning. I'm going to ask you this morning to pretend that this is the altar of God right here. And the first people I want to talk to is those of you, if there is anybody here who is not sure or knows for sure that they have not prayed to receive Christ into their life who have not asked for that forgiveness of sin. And today, you want to start a new beginning for your life. Maybe a new beginning for your family. And you might want to say, I, I, this morning, I want, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I want to go beyond just believing there is a Jesus. I want to be, go beyond being a church attender. I want to go beyond all that. I want to become a true God-empowered Christ follower. So I want to give my life today to Jesus. If that's what you need to do, then I'm going to ask you to come and, and be bold. Be bold because as a, a follower of Christ, we are to be bold people. But I'm going to ask you to come and be bold and, and to stand right over here so that I can pray with you. But if you are a Christ follower this morning and you have taken inventory and you're not so sure that you've really turned your life over to that empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is really truly in control of you, that you have not submitted life to Him and you've not really believed that, that He can empower you, that He can uh, direct your life that he can help you be a leader, that he can help you be a, a disciple. If you've not really gotten that Holy Spirit power, if those things we read off about the fruit of the Spirit are not a part of your life, then I'm going to ask you this morning, would you come and pray, either to receive the Holy Spirit for the very first time, to say, Holy Spirit, come to me, or maybe to, to just refresh your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And say, I want more of that. I want to learn, Lord God, how to submit to you and your power. If that is your prayer this morning, if that be a prayer, then I'm going to ask you to just come and stand right here this morning at this altar. While Daniel sings, would you come? Would you be a part of that? Let's do something different this morning. Let's start off on a different foot. Jesus said to Satan Satan was trying to convince him that you don't need the power of God I'll give you all that you need 
He was playing on Jesus' own humanness, trying to convince him that there is no power from God that is better than mine. Listen, we as humans fight that battle every day. Right now, the enemy is speaking into hearts, saying, you don't need to do this. You don't need to make this kind of commitment. You don't need to be a part of that. And we're resisting. I know because I resisted that way for years. I fought it. Listen, I know that it's not always easy to make one more step of commitment to the Lord. But believe me, the commitments to the Lord will be a powerful thing in your life. You will never regret any of it that you do. One more verse, Daniel, and then we'll pray. Well, God, as, as your church has come forward here today to one more time perhaps lay their life on the line for you, asking for that refreshment of the Holy Spirit or asking maybe for the first time in real earnestness to receive the Holy Spirit in their life. I have all confidence, God, in your word. And you said that if we ask, we will receive. May this week be a week in which they not only feel that presence in a profound and uplifting way, but it begins to motivate and change who they are as they walk out in their community. People representing you, your love, your patience, your kindness, your gentleness, your self-control, all those things that you promise to give. And may they impact this community in ways that as they walk through, people will turn and say, they must be Christ followers. Anoint them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.